Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hello, Stephen. How are you um, doing? I'm great, Ed. How are you? It's grey and wet in London. Typical, delightful London August. Very nice. Um, <laughs> I am I'm calling you from Berlin. I'm still spending the summer here, so um, very nice. Uh, I believe some congratulations are in order, Stephen, because this is going to be our our last recording before the birthday comes up for your your side project, Mappery. Indeed, it is our fifth birthday, um, which is you know, I'm reflecting on that. It's quite something to have kept this thing going for five years. And, you know, we're now going at a post a day. Um, so, yeah, pretty chuffed with that, that we've got to five years. If you're listening to this, our birthday is going to be on the 6th of September. This episode will be released before then, um, which gives you an opportunity to contact us either through the contact form on the website or through our Mastodon account. We still have a Twitter account as well. Um, tell us what was your favorite map in the last five years. Maybe send us a map as a birthday present that you particularly would like to see appear on the 6th of September. And we'll do our best to make that fifth birthday something a bit special. But we've got another anniversary coming up as well, Ed. Um, we've got our own little podversary. That's right. The 200th episode is, is rapidly approaching. So um, we have something a little special planned for all of our listeners. Uh, yeah. I think it'll be interesting. So I hope you do as well. Nevertheless, if you have any questions for us that you always wanted answered about the podcast or... Uh, comments or feedback, of course, send it to us, and, and we'll try to get it answered. And uh, the 200th episode will probably come out around the late late September on our normal right. weekly schedule. So, um, so get that in. We'll probably record it kind of early September. So, um, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah cool. So, I'm also. Oh. Wait, wait, I should also say I look forward to celebrating the the fifth birthday of Mapri and and. Uh, Congrats to you and all involved. Steve, Thank you. At, um, at our next uh, GeoMob London, which is, will be September 13th. So, and and that GeoMob London kicks off a long series of events that we're going to have in um, September. We're going to have London. One week later, we're going to have Barcelona. One week after that is going to be Berlin. Uh, all of which have very excellent lineups. And then follow the final, um, the fourth week in a row will be in Lisbon. So we got a lot, a lot coming, and um, hope all the listeners out there can can see us at one or more of those events. And then, without a date at the moment, but pretty much confirmed, there'll be a GeoMob in Tel Aviv in November. So, all right, excellent. Lots of events, lots of great opportunities. I'm just going to chuck in a plug, if I may, also for Phosphagy UK, which is on Thursday the 7th of September, the day after the Mapuri birthday. Um, and that's a hybrid event. It's based in eight cities around the UK and Ireland with... 
presentations live in each of the eight venues, some keynotes and other presentations and a panel being streamed to all the venues. Um, it's a great, great little event. They did it last year and we're doing it again this year. Um, maybe 300, maybe 400 people will come to this event. Um, you don't have to travel far and lots of fun. So that's Phosphagy UK on the 7th of September. So lots happening in September. A lot happening. So everyone should get, get enjoy the final days of Christmas break in August and get rested up. Because, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the school will be back in session starting September. So. And, oh, and the T-shirt. So That's the T-shirt. Okay, the T-shirt. You remember we were talking about with Phosphagy, sorry, with Geomob events in so many different cities, um, the challenges of finding a gift for, speak, for the best speaker. Right. And I mused on the possibility of having a T-shirt design that people could whoever was awarded it could present a voucher and self-serve themselves yeah. with the t-shirt in the size that they wanted to deal with the logistics. Right. Well, I've got halfway there with the t-shirt for Phosphagy UK. All right, very nice. So, I'll, let you, I'll let you work out all the details and then we'll... Uh, yeah, so we're getting there. That's the, what I was saying. You know, I've got to work out the vouchering bit, but I've worked out the how to get them made and shipped anywhere that you want them to be shipped to. Very nice, very nice. So... Um, well done. So... That's enough about our events and all of that stuff. Um, it's been a busy couple of weeks in GeoEd. It has been a busy couple of weeks in Geo. We, we had some very big news, which I guess our first topic is um, the launch of uh, uh, Overture Maps Foundation finally launching their, their first data set. Yep, they did. So. Um, I was going to say too much fanfare, but actually it was pretty low-key. You know, I mean, it did filter fairly rapidly onto the internet because everybody was interested to see what they were going to deliver, and it's a little bit later than we'd expected, but the data set landed, and I mean, the first thing to say is you've got to be a geek to get your hands on this data. Yes, uh, you do have to be a geek to get your hands on the data. Happily, lots of there are lots of geeks out there who have uh, uh, grabbed the data and stuck it on various websites so that you can kind of explore it and play with it and search it and, and query it. Um, I mean, first, I guess we should say it's several different data sets, right? There's yeah. like a, a POI data set, which, which I think, in my opinion, is probably the most interesting as the first pass. Um, obviously very relevant for us at OpenCage. Um, so I, I hate to say it, but we've kind of been on holiday for the last uh, uh, few weeks, so haven't <laughs> played with it in deep in anger beyond poking around on some of these websites. Um, First impression's a bit mixed, Stephen, I have to say. The, the, there's a lot of... <laughs> You're being bad, very polite. A bad data, and it, frankly, it doesn't... It doesn't look particularly usable yet at this point, at least in the areas I've checked so far. That being said, there could be regions of the world where um, this is always the question: Is it better? Is it better to have? You know, so imagine we have some city somewhere where we currently have no POIs. 
would it be better to use this data set, which seems to contain a lot of errors? Is that better than having nothing? Or is it better, you know? Okay, so let's... Let's step back and talk about what they've released. Yeah, let's go through that. And then, yeah. then we can talk about whether this is a good thing, a bad thing, or whatever. So, to my understanding, they've effectively released a, a points of interest data set, a roads data set, and is it a separate buildings data set, or is that part of the... No, I believe it, I believe it is a separate building data set. Okay. All right. it, is, it is a separate buildings data set. Right. Um, it's a little unclear where all of these come from, and, you know, like, and who are these from Microsoft? Are these from... Um, are these from Facebook or Meta, I guess? Um, so, my understanding is that um, because we're looking, or I've certainly only been looking at visualizations of the data set, a lot of the attribution is, is not easily exposed. Um, yeah. But I think the sources are exposed for this data. And if you dig a little bit deeper and... Um, you get your hands on the data, you can see the sources. Um, the roads data set is pretty much open street map, yes. unvarnished, just as you would expect to see it, but maybe with some slightly cleaned up attribution and structured attribution. Um, the buildings data set seems to be a fusion of the buildings that are in OpenStreetMap, and some of the buildings have come from Meta or Microsoft. Um, you know, from their AI programs. Um, and I think that was an example of one of the use cases for Overture was that the OpenStreet community, StreetMap community were not comfortable with massive AI-generated data sets being loaded into OpenStreetMap and possibly overwriting stuff that had been hand-curated by mappers. That's my understanding. Correct. Anyway. That's also my understanding, yes. Um, and this data set, because it confuse all of that data together and show the attribution you potentially can have two building outlines on the same place and one says Metro and one says OpenStreetMap. Now I'm not certain that it does that but certainly that potential starts to become available um, but let's go to the points of interest because it was the points of interest that got everybody interested and... Well I think, I think the points of interest is the most uh, uh, interesting one because the buildings I mean yes they have now merged OpenStreetMap and, and Microsoft, but the Microsoft data set already existed. Yeah. Um, so, so that was available. But the points of data points of interest data set seems to be new in some regard. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. It. it, it <laughs> On the, it's massive, so I think there are 59 million records. Um, but you know, this is also this is always the question: is like, you know, is is quantity? The quantity doesn't always equal quality. If you have a lot of uh, spammy things or um, or 
things like you know it, it seems a lot of it is a lot, a lot of those points of interest is like uh, shops and and restaurants and things like that and places of business and you know I've all kinds of examples where it looks like someone kind of you know uploaded their they're working from home and they put the name of their company so you know I guess in theory yes they are actually working there but it's not really like a shop or something you know it, each each entry does have a quality score which it's kind of unclear you know I guess ranging from zero to one uh, it's kind of unclear what that's based on at least in my initial uh, first pass so so in theory you could do things like you know I only want those that are above a certain threshold and things like that um, there is a lot of duplication with OpenStreetMap, uh, at least in some the, the the ones I've looked at very briefly. Um, it suffers all the challenges of any other POI dataset in terms of uh, are things missing, are things uh, out of date, um, kind of unclear. So. So I would say it's an interesting, it, it, it's something we need to dig into much deeper and evaluate, and there, and there may well be regions where it makes sense to use this data, again, possibly only if only above a certain quality score. There are also, in many examples, many of the people that I saw who dug into it, they did this in uh, uh, places where OpenStreetMap is already quite good, Northern Europe. Yeah. It, it seems like OpenStreetMap is a bit better. Um, in those places, at least. So, so in the part of North London where I live, um, yeah, I know, I know the the sort of couple of shopping streets around where we are, and yeah, you know, a quick glance and the comparison with OpenStreetMap, and you'd say, well, this is rubbish. You know, you know, OpenStreetMap is inf is massively better. Um, right. You know, when I looked last week. Um, all of the shops in the road at the end of our road um, were correctly identified. The point of interest was inside the building footprint. Um, it was, you know, it was just what you'd expect. Um, and if you then looked at the overture maps, there were positional problems that. You know, some of the things were in the middle of the street. Some of them were sort of 20 yards, 20 meters behind the street. Um, so there were a lot of positional problems. And there was also um, currency problems. Um, there were points of interest that hadn't been there for three or five years. You know, it was very out of date. Um, yeah, there's a bank that closed nine months ago. That was still showing, you know. So it wasn't good. Um, and when I met, when I posted on Mastodon about this, um, Mark Priolo messaged me to say, try filtering for um, confidence level. Right? Yes. And when you did that and pushed the confidence level up to sort of 90, 95%, the data set then started to be reasonably good quality. It wasn't complete, but it was reasonably good quality. Right, um, but then, but, but how many of the 59, I, I mean, this could obviously be calculated, but how many of the 59 million POIs are at 99% confidence? I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that, you know, it was really easy in places where OpenStreetMap is good to write this data set off as trash. But then somebody chipped in saying, well, OpenStreetMap's not very 
very good in Latvia. I think it was Latvia. If I've got that yeah. one wrong, forgive me. But, you know, OpenStreetMap's not very good in this place. And so maybe there... Um, the data set is more valuable, you know, and for you, for geocoding, if you're not trying to do pre precise geocoding, um, the sort of positional areas of 5, 10, 20 meters from a point of interest um, probably don't matter anyway. That's probably true. Um, no, it is something that we're going to be looking at heavily uh, once we're fully back from the, the summer break. Um, it's exactly that. The question is, what threshold should we use? Should we use 99%? Should we use 90%? Should we, you know, should we limit it only to certain geographies? Should we? What happens when there's a duplicate with OpenStreetMap? All these kinds of questions. So. Um, I actually saw a very interesting theory on Mastodon that, well, there are several, several good questions that came up. Uh, so first of all, many, many people looked at this and were like, oh, well, okay, this is just their first drop of data. It will get better. To which my response is, how is it going to get better? Who, who, what is the mechanism by which ah. something is going to get better in the terms of like, is a, a user is going to report an error? How are they going to do that? Where? And I guess my other question would be, if this data is from uh, large consumer services like, like Facebook, you know, presumably, you know, for years they've been trying to get their users to correct the data and, and so... Why have they not made it better already? You know, I mean, like, why? Why are they? Why have they been waiting till now to get? You know, or or is this not the data set of, of Facebook's? You know? So, yeah, I agree with you that um, about that thing about will the data get better? I think the data will get better. But how, um, Stephen? How? Well, what, so, what's the mechanism? So, firstly. Um, I think if you were trying to curate a data set like this, you would need to have a natural refresh period. So the confidence or the confidence level of a date of a point goes down if it's over not time. over time if it's not reconfirmed. Um, the first thing is the main way for people to update points of interest will be for business owners and other people like that, organizations, to claim their data points and maintain them. On and Overture or on Facebook? Or wh how, where are they going to be doing this? Um, so I, mean, I believe such a mechanism already exists on Facebook. On Facebook. So why haven't, they, why haven't, you, why haven't business owners been correcting their data? I don't know. I and can't like, answer what, that. What's going to change now that they're all of a sudden going to start? Oh no! Look, Google managed to do this pretty well. Pretty well. Yeah. I mean, Google. Yeah. Just bringing Google into this because Google's outside the Overture con consortium, obviously. You know, Google have succeeded in doing this because people because of the number one. Everyone needs to be correct on Google. People have on Google. There are errors. You still find errors. You still find errors, and more interestingly, not only do you find errors, but some of those errors are deliberate. They're not errors. They're mischievous. Um, so they're the trap, trap shops, something like that. Did you read? I don't know whether you read James Killick last week. Um, James Killick writes um, under Map Happenings. It's a 
a blog that he does about once a month or thereabouts. I, I think I did say this. Yes. Yeah, and he's I I like his writing. He's very thoughtful, um, and he worked at Apple um, ages ago. So you know he knows he knows a bit about the inside of Apple. But he was talking about Google's places and pointed out that actually anybody can create a fake place, and for yes. a while it was it will it will live on Google Maps. Um, and apparently there was a, a taxi company which put Bob's taxis on near the exit of one of the terminals at Heathrow. Um, and after a while, they, they edited their thing to say Heathrow taxis. So now it says Heathrow taxis, and people think that this is an official taxi stand, and actually it's just some guy touting for business. Um, but it, it pointed to um, pointed out that anybody can update a, a point of interest at the moment on Google Maps. That how long that will last, I don't know. So I was thinking of updating my next door neighbour's house. Um, to point out that they're Tottenham Hotspur supporters, for example. Um, yeah, but once you start with this, I mean, yes, that was stupid. I agree, it's pointless. But the point, what I'm getting at is that anybody can put anything as a point on Google Maps, and clearly they will have a filtering mechanism which determines how much of that's seen or when it's seen. But um, you know, points of interest are a problem. If you let individuals crowdsource them, you'll get mischievous and misleading results. And if you rely on businesses, you may find that you're not keeping them up to date. Um, it is a problem. It's, it's very, very difficult. Just, uh, I mean, obviously they're coming and going all the time and, and hugely challenging. Yeah. So, but this is why I call into question that... The, the, the statements that people are like, oh, well, Overture Maps, it, it will automatically get better. I'm not sure it's automatically going to get better. It's only going to get better if the, if, if the mechanisms and, and procedures are created and somehow exposed to the users of the data. And then exactly as you say, we need, we need the, the checks and balances against uh, spam and fraud and all these kinds of things. So I did see another very interesting theory on Mastodon. And my apologies, because I don't remember who, who put these theories forth. But... Um, you know, it, it made the point that with this first release of data, obviously there's probably some pressure on on Overture Maps to, you know, just to start doing things because, you know, as you recall, it's been it's been now six or seven months since it was first announced, and so they need to get something out there. Um, but also, it's kind of a, a like a burning of the boats by all the the members of the consortium, you know, so uh, Meta and Microsoft, or whatever that. The, the point of this release is not necessarily to create usable data, but more so that they demonstrate to each other that they're actually committed to this project beyond just putting their mm -hmm. logo on the on the web page, but actually releasing data. And that, you know, probably there's a delicate dance between those organizations of how committed are they to Overture, how, you know, how many resources are they going to put on this, and how many, and, you know, no one, no, no, no individual organization wants to be the one who puts in all the work that everyone else benefits from. They need to, they need to, you know, demonstrate to each other that they are actually going to work on this, and that by releasing something, even if it's not great, is the way to demonstrate internally to the other members 
members of the consortium that this project does have momentum and, and is happening. So and yeah. that, that kind of rung true with me, actually. I, I suspect there probably are a lot of, you know, I, I continue to believe it's going to be difficult for all these organizations to to cooperate well. So just it's simply because each has their own motivations, each has yeah. other projects, each has you know it's it's just in general big companies you know there's always uh, big companies are always kind of within a big company it's always more relevant the game within the company of who's the boss of whom and which group has more power or whatever and so it's just very hard for them to focus externally and cooperate with others so so the dark horse in this for me the one that I don't think we've mentioned yet is Amazon all right and I just wonder whether Amazon is the key to fixing this data. Well, I mean, obviously they have delivery drivers, either their exactly. employees or subcontracted or something. So yes, you would think you would think clearly there is, you know, logic would dictate that there is some path whereby the delivery driver takes the delivery, makes note of where he where the actual address is, and that somehow feeds back. Of course, yeah. So, and also, you know, um, if we're talking about points of interest as retail points of interest, you know, I'm not talking about yeah. Nelson's column or something. Amazon are delivering to those places. They will be dropping parcels at, to people who work in the shops every week, won't they? They will. I guess the question then becomes, Stephen, what's, what's the... That you, you, so there are two fields of thought. One field of thought is that that information, that data, is mm -hmm. a unique asset that they should protect as a competitive advantage versus why should they give it to everyone else for free? Um, well, then you're into the whole thing of open source and you're also into is this data competitive advantage or is it part of the platform on which you build your competitive advantage? Um, you know, Amazon will benefit from Microsoft and Meta's building outlines. If they contribute some improvements to points of interest, does that really give anything away to anybody else? They're not in the points of interest space, are they? They're in the delivery space. Well, they are in the delivery space. Imagine you, your whole premise is you should sign up for Amazon Prime because we guarantee you get the delivery in the next day. And, you know, we do that because we have our full system, you know, that is unrivaled versus any competitor. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I haven't... First of all, to my knowledge, nothing from Amazon is in this release. At least I don't see it mentioned in the press release. I mean, it may well be. But second of all, you know, I, I don't follow every every detail of everything very closely. But I don't have the impression that Amazon is the biggest. Amazon does not seem to make a lot of PR about their contributions to open source the way, for example, Google does with like Google Summer of Code okay. and things like that. So. I don't know, Stephen. It doesn't strike me as being in their DNA. To... Well, I've got a hunch that Amazon's two businesses is web services and it's shopping delivery. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, well, three businesses if you take all the streaming and content. But 
Their Amazon's map service is pretty cool now and very, very competitively priced against not only Google, but against the offerings that are built on top of OpenStreetMap already. Uh, I guess. I don't know. I haven't looked at it in a while. Yeah, it is. I, um. If the Overture maps, the whole portfolio, gets to a very high standard and is embedded into the Amazon Web Services platform so that, you know, if you're an AWS customer, you can build apps using the maps as just part one of the components along with the databases and all the other services yeah. they offer. But they already uh, offer that. I mean, they, not, not with the Overture, but with, with the, you know, you can with, use the here yeah. and, and uh, uh, Esri and... and and I think also OSM, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not, I'm not. So anyway, I think yeah, I'm going to hold out on the fact that I think Amazon's the dark horse in this, and that we'll see something. Um, let's let's. Well, there, there is one other dark, one other big player, Stephen, that we haven't mentioned at all. Which I mean, so obviously, <laughs> when Overture first was announced, many people saw it as the reaction to Google. All these players yep. trying to compete with Google, who's clearly the dominant player. Nevertheless, the other big player is Apple. Who weren't in the Overture Consortium. Who are not in Overture, exactly. Indeed, so. and that's exactly where I was going. So, last week in The Guardian, and we'll put a link to the article in, um, there was an article asking the question, after 10 years, is Apple Maps any use, or is it usable, or something like that? I can't remember the title. Um, but you get the drift of it. And... This was an astonishing puff piece for Apple. The Apple PR <laughs> people, I mean, hats off to them, yeah, guys, because you did a really good job. Um, the journalist, um, his byline is that he's um, a music correspondent. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, I think he, you know, I guess we're being generous. You know, he's the, he dragged the cool. I mentioned the piece is written from the perspective of your typical user of maps. So in that regard, he's probably very qualified as a typical normal person who wants to use a map to get around. Yeah, yeah. And the, it's also, I think, quite substantially written by the Apple PR people. But um, it's to, you know, it's a valid question. You know, ten years ago Apple launched Apple Maps and it was pretty widely panned and derided because there were numerous actual errors in the data and there was enormous gaps in the data and the quality of the whole thing was very poor and uh, if I recall correctly heads rolled at Apple as a result of that. It was still, it was in the Steve Jobs era wasn't he? He was still alive then and... At the very end yeah. Yeah and I think he was very pissed about it. Um, and occasionally I find myself using Apple Maps by accident. 
Yeah, for um, often in an app, if you have an iPhone, you click on a link, you click on an address or whatever, and it opens on Apple Maps. Yeah, and that's the only circumstances on which I would find myself using Apple Maps. And once you open it, it's okay. You know, I mean, I'd never open it by choice, or I said I, that used to be the case. Um, and they I mean, make wait, a, we should clarify. Your default map is Google Maps. My default map is Google Maps. What is your default map, Ed? I do use Google Maps quite a bit. I do use also organic maps uh, sometimes for... Um, I don't. I can't say I use Apple Maps regularly. No. Beyond exactly what you said, you click, yeah. you accident. I have an iPhone, and I click on an address, and it opens on Apple Maps. Yeah. So, and the whole article was sort of comparing Apple Maps to Google Maps, and basically saying that it's got a hell of a lot better, um, which I think is true, and it's got some some features like three D drawings or semi 3d drawings of landmarks you know so the eiffel tower sticks up out of the map and if that rocks your boat great um for me it's just another distraction you know i want a map i don't want pictures um but it makes a good case that they've improved a lot and um you'd come out of this article thinking they've done a reasonably good job but there was one bit one bit that just screamed at me, where um, the director of the division that's responsible for Apple Maps, I think he's one level up from from the sort of head of maps, uh, guy, somebody Q, says words to the effect that there are only two global mapping providers, us and Google. And this is followed in the article by a quote from some professor of cartography. And again, I'm not even going to try and find his name because I don't care who he is. Um, who follows on from this by talking about the lack of transparency in the two global map providers. Now, this guy teaches cartography. The other guy heads up major mapping producer and neither of them mentioned OpenStreetMap and the journalist was sufficiently uninformed to not know that OpenStreetMap exists. Well, I guess the counter argument I would be is that they are correct that there are only two that are default on your mobile phone. So if you have an Android, it's Google Maps and if you have an iPhone, it's Apple Maps and frankly, those are the only two not platforms, I, uh, mobile platforms. So, I mean, of course, obviously we know there are many amazing things built with OpenStreetMap, but you as a consumer have to actively install an app that uses OpenStreetMap, right? You, it's not, it's never by default. And, you know, that integration in the in the operating system, of course, is a huge advantage. As we say, you and I occasionally end up on Apple Maps by accident. You cannot end up on OpenStreetMap by accident. You no. have to have you have to actively have installed a service that uses OpenStreetMap. 
But also, I mean, we have to install uh, um, Google Maps on our Apple devices. We do, we do. But on, on Android, you don't, which, no. you know, which is obviously no. a massive platform as well. So, so. I mean, it, listen, it pissed me off massively. It pissed me off enough that egged on by the crowd on Mastodon, I've now written to the Guardian uh-huh. correcting some of the errors in their article um, whether they'll publish my letter I doubt they well, will do but I, I found a different aspect of this article interesting Stephen and that was okay. the question is you know has Apple Maps improved undoubtedly it certainly yeah. has um, and, and as you correctly note some of the 3D stuff is impressive the question is has Google Maps worsened Okay, and and this, in my opinion, is definitely the case. Uh, Unarguably. And and particularly Google Maps' overemphasis on points of interest. And frankly, often in in a big city... You know, I know the address I need to go to, you know, such a, you know, 123 Main Street or whatever. And you just can't see the street name because, I because of all the points of interest. And you've got to zoom in or you've got to, yeah, it's such a nightmare. But right. then. Hold on, Ed, 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 just a second. Call out, call out, call out. Ed Parsons, if you're listening, pay attention here. Carry on. Well, however, I then saw, I mean, so this is not an original point for me. Again, I I forget where I read this from on Mastodon, but someone made the point that, you know, maybe I'm just old, and maybe I'm still used to the the way of operating of, you know, I know how to read a map, and I want to see the street names, and I want to kind of, you know, figure out how to navigate to get there, and that a younger generation that that has, you know, grown up in the time of, of smartphones, and in fact, these people are not so young anymore, and I mean, these are actually young adults, you know, they're just used to search, and you just always search and you just blindly trust the search um, and you know and I see this also with my kids you know I mean and this is the world of Google I mean Google obviously is, is the, the search engine and they want you to search and it's not about having context it's about searching and just blindly trusting whatever the search engine spits out and you know you don't need to know what your street you're on as long as the you know the routing algorithm says go take a right I blindly take a right um, which you know obviously horrifies me okay but but maybe maybe that is the future you know so know. when you're in a car yeah. and you're using Google Maps to navigate yeah do you have the phone in some kind of a holder so you can see the screen, or is it just sitting on the dashboard and you're listening to the instructions? Well, so I, well first of all, we should say I don't, I don't own a car and I don't often drive. But you rent a car occasionally. I re- occasionally, I rent a car. Um, so I don't have a holder. I don't use the voice instructions. I hate the voice instructions. I find it hugely distracting and and uh, unhelpful. Um, so what I do, and again, you know, maybe maybe I'm old-fashioned, but like before I go on a trip, like I kind of look at the map and orient, and I know yep, roughly, okay, it's on the, you know, I'm heading northeast or whatever, and uh, you know, maybe I take note of the major highways or whatever, and then as I get down to the nitty-gritty, then I might, you know, use the phone to show me exactly, okay, take a second right or whatever. But maybe that's just an old-fashioned way of doing it, Stephen. So I think. I think it is, Ed, because 
I, I don't have, you know, I do have a car in London. I don't use it very much. But when I'm in the car, the phone is sitting down in sort of the, the little bit in right. the centre. It's not on the dashboard. It's not on the dashboard. And often I've switched the screen, I've switched the screen off. So it's just voice instructions. Okay. And I'm using the voice instructions. Right, so that will say, turn, go you know, in 100 yards, turn left at. Um, yeah. Now, it probably says turn left at such and such street, but if it said turn left by the Costa Coffee Store or yeah. turn left at the Yellow House or something like that, I'd be equally happy. Um, and in fact, I remember 20 years ago when we were working on, well, it's a bit more than 20 years, we were working on the navigation for three in the early mobile services. Um, and there was a lot of talk about whether it would be, whether the end game was navigation by points of interest mm. and landmarks. I think that's very cultural because obviously in some some cultures that is how they you know they have no addresses and that's how they do it. Yeah. You know, if you've been to India, that kind of is how it works. Um, I don't know. I you know it's just so hard to accept this reality of just blindly trusting the machine rather than orienting yourself, having you know knowing roughly where you are. Also, I mean, numerous studies have. This is not just the issue with maps, but. You know these cars now that have you know huge displays and things like that, and and you see the incidence of accidents is going up. Absolutely, People obviously yeah. are focusing on the screen rather than focusing on the the road, which is what they should be doing. You know, and the converse is when I'm when I'm using the app to give me directions for walking. You know, when I'm using a combination of public transport and walking, yeah. then I absolutely am looking at the screen. And I absolutely want the reassurance that I'm turning left at the right street. You know, when you're well, walking. Absolutely, because often, you know, you, the GPS, you know, the location that the map thinks you are at, the, 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 the phone the blue dot. may be off, you know, it may be off, you may be put you on the wrong side of the street or whatever. Yeah. You know, so it's often not 100% reliable. You need to... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm, I, I at least am not willing to blindly put my faith in the in the machine. I want to know where I am and, and know. Um, but this is a new thing for Google Maps because um, up until a year or so ago. Um, the maps were exemplary. Um, uh, I feel like it's been longer, Stephen. It's a, it gets harder and harder. You know, I can remember walking around Barcelona, and it's just the. It's a very dense city, you know, in, in kind of a very urban environment. And, and you know, on any given street, there, there are 50 different POIs of these little shops and things. And so I am sympathetic to Google's problems in terms of it's very hard to represent that much information on a tiny phone screen. But good Lord, I mean, like, I, you know, I don't care about every little hairdresser along my route, you know. I, 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 and it feels like... I don't know if this intentional in a, in terms of driving monetization of getting the companies to to advertise or to claim their location or whatever, but it definitely feels like 
the map app as navigational tool has worked has worsened in terms of giving me the map that I can use to navigate on my own. And I guess I guess they're trying to push you towards search more and more. But yeah, I I can't argue with you because uh, the clutter of POIs is yeah is is a problem, and even when there aren't the POIs, you seem to have to zoom in unreasonably yeah. far before you can get street names, even on major streets. I'm not talking exactly. about secondary exactly. streets. You've always you know, got to zoom in and zoom out and move it around, and then you know even the strategy that is mentioned in the article, I feel like you need to click on the next street over so that then it shows you the street you're actually that street name and the street you're actually on. It just ends up frustrating. And actually, yeah. I have to be, be upfront. This is one of the things that's driven me towards organic maps more and more. And, and, and that may be personal preference, and obviously, you know, I, 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 I like OpenStreetMap and understand the, the pros and the cons of OpenStreetMap, but a, a big part of it is just map usability. Absolutely yep. map usability. So... so. After you, you know, after you messaged on Mastodon last week saying, well, have you tried organic maps? I immediately went and downloaded it. Um, And for me, it's not, it's not the answer. Um, First thing, you have to download the maps. You download your city, yeah, or whatever. You have you to download, download your country or whatever. Or city, I don't or know. Or region, yeah. um, before you can get anything, which is okay, I guess, with most phones because you've got the storage space. Um, yeah. My phone's a bit old; it's got bundles of photos and stuff on it, so I'm not thrilled about having to download great chunks of data. Well, it's pros um, and cons, right? Because then you can yeah. also access it offline. But it also means, yeah, pros and cons. If you're net. Yes, you can access offline, but we live in a world where we're virtually never offline, so um, I'm not sure about that. But also, I'm not sure how they then organize getting you the latest data every day, every week, if you've downloaded, because um, it's not evident to me how you refresh the data or what prompts you to refresh the data. Um, But I did find um, public transport navigation is just a non-starter with that. Yeah, um, I, I, I can agree. I can confirm with that. I mean, frankly, th- that that is the main reason I use Google Maps is because it's yeah. very good at routing via public transport and, and almost real time, of course, like with, yeah. the, with uh, when there are obstructions or, or delays or whatever. Yeah. So that that and you know, full credit to Google because that must be an absolute nightmare to organize all that information. Yeah, and I don't know what it's like um, using it for. Um, for driving navigation, um, I'll give it a test at some stage. But um. well, I mean, I get you know everyone has their individual use case. But over last Christmas, I was in Colorado in the U.S., so mm. outside of the EU, so couldn't use data. And so organic maps was a godsend because yep. I could download it and navigation by car, which frankly in in Colorado that's the only way you're going to navigate. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, there is no public transport, so. It was great. It was wonderful. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it, was, it worked very well. But very good experience with it. So. And in fact, um, I'm trying to remember. I 
think we were driving through a part of Utah, um, a long haul when we were doing a tour of all the canyons. And we had an American SIM card, so we had data. Yeah. But there's no bloody reception out there. Yeah, in the US yeah. there are often holes in or something. I mean, right? and we're talking... Especially in the West. Yeah. And we took a wrong turn. We took a wrong turn. There was a fork in the road and we took the wrong fork. And by the time we realized it, we were in... A, you were snowed in and you were trying not to snowed figure in, out who to but, eat. But we were, we were lost. We had no data. And then we looked at the petrol gauge and we were starting to run out of petrol. And you can drive for an hour and not see another person in this these big spaces, you know. It's, I mean, all we saw world, was a, 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 big world. a dead cow, a dead cow by the side of the road, you know, which was sort of, sort of very. Well, at least you're not going to go hungry then. Right, so, um. <laughs> but in those circumstances, having um, having the thing downloaded so that you can find where you are and work your way out, even if you can't do, um, even if it can't calculate the routing and the navigation for you without going back to a server is worth it. Um, but as a day-to-day -day thing in an urban environment, if you're using public transport, organic maps didn't do it for me. Well, the other use case where I found it quite useful here in Berlin is, um you know, I often drag the kids out to the to the forests and the lakes mm -hmm. and things, and it has, you know, because it's based on OpenStreetMap, it has all the trails and everything, yeah. and they're very well marked. So, and 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 again, you have it all downloaded, so you don't need reception, and so it's it's quite good. No, it's it's what I would say is that the the actual mapping experience is very nice. It's nice and simple. It's got. Mm -hmm good quality, the zoom layering and everything that they've done with the stuff coming in is good. It's, it's good app. It's good app. Um, okay. Yeah, we should wrap up, Stephen. We've been yeah. ranting now for a while about the, the state of maps. Two um, old men cranking off about maps. What else is there old. to do? I'm not that old. Um, the I guess, I'm old, wait, I'm old close, enough to be too old, man. Let's close on a positive note, Stephen, and yeah. give um, full credit to everyone out there working on maps because it is very, very hard. Yeah. Uh, with all the data and all, you know all the bad data and keeping the data fresh and meeting the needs of all the different users who want to, of course, do everything differently in different countries, and um, it's not easy. So good luck to everyone who's working on it. Yeah, and Ed Parsons, we love you, even if we're not so happy with your maps at the moment. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, okay, so on that note, um, I will see you, Stephen, on uh, September 13th at the next GeoMob London. Yeah, and um, by then we'll have Mapri's birthday. We'll be coming up to the 200th episode. Um, great. Have, enjoy the rest of the summer. You as well, and, and the same to all of our listeners. Okay, take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a GeoMob event soon.